0: Hey, good morning, faith family. If you've got a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville in our sanctuary service. Uh, we are in the uh, series we've been in for several months now in the book of Hebrews. If you're new with us today, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, just to kind of get you caught up, the last really several months we've been in a book that's all about encouraging us and challenging us in those seasons of life, particularly as Christians when it's just hard to keep going on, and it's easy to just kind of quit and throw in the towel and give up, and and this book is written to encourage you in your faith and to challenge you to keep pressing forward even in those difficult times. And I trust that you've been encouraged uh, as we've gone through this book, and uh, I've been real thankful for the emails and testimonies that I've heard of just how your faith has been strengthened and challenged. Some of you've uh, written to me and just said, I- "I'm starting to understand what Christianity is all about." That it's trusting God Uh, not trying to please him, but really trusting him in the different seasons of life. And so this morning we continue in that here in Hebrews 12. We're about done with the book, Uh, kind of starting to land the plane here, uh, maybe a week or two more as we finish up this this wonderful book. And we pick up here in verse uh, 15. Uh, We're going to look down through the end of the chapter, but for our scripture reading, uh, we're going to read down through verse 24. And so in all of our locations, if you're able to stand, would you please do So as we honor the reading of God's word, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, <clears throat> gloom, a tempest, a sound of a trumpet, the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stone. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to an assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is an easy passage, right? So if you're like, what in the world does that have to do with my life? Well, I am thankful you're here. Because I think God has a word for us even from this difficult passage. Do you believe that? Then pray with me and pray for me. God, thank you for all of your word. Every bit of it is breathed out by you. And sure, there are passages that on the surface are hard for us to understand. But I pray that this morning your spirit, the spirit of truth, would come guide us. Uh, Teach us, help us understand not just what this meant to the original hearers, but to us today in our life as we try to walk this road of faith. So God, come and meet us here. Come and talk to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. I remember my obsession with them really from a, a pretty early age Uh, I I can remember any time that I would get money uh, from doing chores or mowing yards or you know helping my father with projects around the house, as soon as I got that money in my hand, I would run to the grocery store and buy a pack. I was just obsessed with it. In fact, it was not uncommon for me to go through several packs uh, in a week. Uh, And it wasn't just me, my friends did it as well. You see, even growing up, I was obsessed with something a lot of people were obsessed with growing up, baseball cards. I don't know what you were thinking, all right? Baseball cards. I loved collecting baseball cards. In fact, I had folders that I put all my cards in to keep them in mint condition. I had full box sets that I would store in my closet. I even had the books where you could look up and see what each card was valued at. I loved collecting baseball cards. But part of the reason that I loved collecting baseball cards was not just to collect them, but to trade them a lot of us kids, we would at school, you know, We I'd trade you this player for that player. I'd trade you this card for that card. And, and everybody was trying to get the best trade they possibly could. In fact, I remember to this day my best trade ever. It happened to my friend, Kevin. We're not friends anymore. But anyways, <laughs> in fact, if he's listening online, Kevin, I apologize, buddy. He had a mint condition Michael Jordan starting lineup figure you ever heard of Michael Jordan he's kind of a big deal all right I had a out of mint Daryl Strawberry rookie card you ever heard of Daryl Strawberry a few of you yeah he played around here for a bit Uh, but most of you know that uh, uh, Michael Jordan had a pretty good career Daryl Strawberry mm, not so much And so I knew it was a long shot, but I thought I'm going to offer Kevin my out of mint Daryl Strawberry card for his mint Michael Jordan starting lineup figure. And he took it. (laughs) And he not only took it, he thought he got the better deal. Well, it turns out Michael Jordan's career was a whole lot better than Daryl Strawberry's. In fact, you'll never, you'll never guess this. I still have my Michael Jordan starting lineup figure. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the wisdom of our great pastor. Now today, that Daryl Strawberry card is probably not even worth a dollar, this is worth, well, I ain't telling y'all what it's worth, all right? Y'all, y'all be rushing the stage, all right? Well, just, just know that it's worth more than the Daryl Strawberry card. Now, listen, I share with you that very silly story from my childhood to, to get you to think about this today. Sometimes in life, you make a bad trade, Sometimes in life, you make a bad trade, and you see bad trades around you in the world all the time. You particularly see this in sports. For instance, in 1996, the Charlotte Hornets traded their draft spot to the L.A. Lakers to get Vlade Divok. Exchange, the Lakers got a man by the name of Kobe Bryant. The Atlanta Falcons traded for a draft pick, and to get that draft pick, they traded away a guy by the name of Brett Favre. And all God's people said, boo, right? In 1920, the Boston Red Sox traded for cash, and in exchange, they traded away to the New York Yankees, many of you know this, a man by the name of Babe Ruth. It doesn't just happen in sports, it happens in business and finance. A man by the name of Ron Wayne, he was one of the original founders of Apple. He traded his 10% stake in the company in 1976 for $800. If he would have held on to that today, it would be worth 90 billion. I know, (laughs) it was a bad trade. The, the life is full of bad trades. You see them all the time. And my, and my guess is you've experienced that as well. We've all made bad trades before. And it may be simple. Some of you may be traded in a perfectly good car for an absolute piece of junk. <laughs> Maybe for you, you bought stock in a company and then it went bankrupt. Oh, God's people said, oh, Sears. Or maybe it was a little more serious than that. Maybe you traded your family for a bottle. Maybe you traded your body to feel loved. Maybe you traded your values to get the promotion. I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I know this about you. If you thought about your life, I bet you there's been times where you know you made a bad trade. We all have made trades that we regret. Now listen listen, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody. It's one thing to do that in business. It's one thing to do that in relationships. It's an entirely different thing when you do that with God. I'm serious with you this morning. You have the opportunity to know God. The opportunity to experience God, the opportunity to have joy in God, and you trade it away for the fleeting pleasures of the world. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Faith family, why? Why would you trade eternity for the temporary? Why would you trade eternity for the temporary? That is exactly the trade that these Hebrew Christians are in danger of making. In fact, if you've been with us for the last several months, you know this. The author, really throughout the whole book, has been holding up this idea. Why would you trade this for this? Why would you trade that for that? It doesn't make any sense at all. Let me give you just a very quick review. Things like... Why would you trade the full word for partial words? That's how the book starts. Jesus is the full word of God. Why would you trade that for partial ones? Or what about this? Why would you trade rest for your soul, for the restlessness of sin? There is a rest, therefore, for the people of God why would you trade access to God for distance from God don't you realize that because of Jesus you can draw near so draw near don't go back or this why would you trade it is finished for a system that's never finished why would you go back to the Old Testament system that was constantly going when it is done once and for all in Jesus amen why would you trade the new covenant, or why would you trade the high priest who is alive for priests who die? Why would you trade the new covenant where you can know God and experience forgiveness for an old covenant that is obsolete? Why would you trade solid food for milk? Why would you trade your confidence in Christ for the insecurity of a law? Why would you trade the promises of God for the pleasures of sin? And I can keep going. I'll give you this one more. Why would you trade Christ for a comfortable life? Has that not been the book of Hebrews? Constantly of you have this. Why would you trade it away? Why would you go back and give up all that is yours in Christ? Now listen, those are not just questions that these Hebrews need to answer. These are questions you and I must answer. Because turning your back on Jesus is the worst trade you could ever make. Turning your back on your faith is the worst trade you could ever make. And it's exactly what the author continues to mention in the passage before us. Now this passage that we read just a few moments ago on the surface is like, what? Is this even talking about? It feels random. Like look, for instance, in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And at first it's like, Esau... What does he have to do with anything? Why is the author bringing Esau up? He's bringing it up because his story matters not only to these Hebrew Christians, but to us. Here's what he's saying. Notice it on the screen. He's saying, do not trade eternal promises for temporary pleasures. Don't trade eternal promises for temporary pleasures. You remember Esau, how he was driven by his appetites. Driven by his desires. The text mentions two things. First, sexual immorality. Now he's not talking about sexual immorality in general. He's talking about something specific to Esau. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 34, the Bible says that Esau married foreign women. You see, God had called Israel to be set apart, and Esau went outside of that. Why did he go outside of that? Why did he marry foreign women? Because he was driven by his appetites. He was driven by his desires. It's also why he sold his birthright. Do you remember Genesis chapter 25? He comes back from working in the field uh, on a long day. He's tired. He's exhausted. Jacob, his brother, is cooking some Minnesota wild rice soup. You remember that? That's how the story goes. And he can just smell it. And he craves it. He, he's so hungry. He's like, give me that bowl of soup. And Jacob says, well, I'll give it to you for your birthright. And Esau says, Well, what good is my birthright if I'm dead? And he trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. And as a result, he loses his blessing. One commentator says it this way quote, God did not take Esau's blessing from him, Esau traded it away. Esau, listen to this, Esau gave up the promise in order to ease his physical discomfort. And God let him bear the consequences of his action. In fact, his desires took him so far, the text says he could never come back back. Esau's not random. This isn't like, okay, Hebrew Christians, it's now time for a little Sunday school story. We're going to have vacation Bible school. He's saying, no, Esau's life teaches us a lesson that you can be so obsessed in the temporary that you forsake the eternal. And that's tragic. Esau was a man that, was, that traded the promises of God to experience the pleasures of the world. Hebrews, I know you're struggling. I know you're suffering for your faith. But don't be like Esau. Don't trade temporary relief for eternal promise. Instead, be like Jesus. Look to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was starving? Do you remember when Jesus was hungry and the enemy comes to him and offers him a meal? Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. In other words, Jesus, unlike Esau, listen, was not willing to trade his inheritance or yours for a quick meal. Faith family, what is your bowl of stew? What is your thing that you absolutely crave and you're willing for the sake of that momentary pleasure to forsake your faith in God? We need to be very, very careful in a fast-acting medicine, drive through restaurant, mobile app ordering so it's ready when you get there. One click and you're approved. Instant gratification culture. That you don't train yourself to be driven by temporary relief. Spiritually, that is dangerous. It's a bad, bad trade. Amen? Learn from Esau. The temptation in the moment is to say, you know what? This sin offers me temporary relief, but it's a bad trade bad trade. Here's the second thing he says. Not just don't trade the eternal promises for temporary pleasures, but now he's going to say don't trade life in Christ for life under the law. Don't trade life in Christ for life under the law. Again, another passage that on the surface, it's like, how does this fit at all uh, with what the author is trying to do? Look at verse uh, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, the sound of a trumpet, the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with He brings up these two mountains. The first is Mount Sinai. Now, remember, if you know the context of the book, these Hebrew Christians are tempted to go back to uh, the law, back to Judaism, back to symbolically Mount Zion. And the author is just saying, come on, come on. Can we just have a conversation for a moment? Uh, Could you just go back and read Exodus 19 for a minute? Mount Sinai was a terrifying place. The people were separated from God. They couldn't even touch the mountain or they would die. If little Fifi, your puppy dog, got loose and touched the mountain, it had to die. It was a place of judgment. It was a place of darkness. It was a place of fear. Are you kidding me? Even Moses himself said, I'm trembling. It was like the ancient Near Eastern version of Mordor from Lord of the Rings. I mean, this place was a terrifying place. And you know this. But listen... That's not where you've come to. That's not your home. That's not where you belong. You belong not in Mount Sinai. You belong in Mount Zion. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mm, This is so good. Just trust me, all right? You're like... Explain, explain. All he's doing is saying there's these two mountains that represent two things. One represents life under the law, Mount Sinai. And the other represents life in Christ, Mount Zion. And so let me pull this text out by just giving you the comparison that he makes. For instance, life under the law was based on fear. But life in Christ is based on joy. Even Moses was terrified, but, but Jesus has come that we might have life and life abundantly. Why would you trade joy for fear? Why would you give up what you have in Christ for the law? Secondly, life under the law is boring piety, but life in Christ is a party. I take this from the phrase that says the festal assembly or gathering of the angels. It's the the only time in the New Testament that this is used and it refers to a party. Listen, the law creates Pharisees. You ever been around those people? Look like they've never smiled in 200 years. You know, it's just, don't do this, and you can't do that, and you got to follow the rules, and and, and they never smile, and it's just law, law, law. The the author is saying that's not what it's like on Mount Zion. At Mount Zion, it is a party, for the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. It is a celebration that goes on and on and on, and there is good music, and there is great dancing, and all the Baptists said that's about what I expected, right? Amen. We're happy in God, right? Come on. Don't you remember that Jesus, his very first miracle, the very first miracle, his kind of uh, announcing that the kingdom of God is here was turning water into wine. And all the Lutherans said, that's what I figured. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Jesus is saying something, and that wine wasn't just like any old wine. It was the best wine. What's the point? Life in God is a celebration. Don't you see what you have in Christ? You you are a part of an eternal celebration of all that God has done for you in Christ. Why would you go back to law? Thirdly, life under the law is distant. Right, They couldn't even touch the mountain. They couldn't even come close. But life in Christ, you can draw near. You can actually experience God. You don't have to send one mediator in for you. You already have that mediator, Jesus Christ. He has torn the veil. Brother, sister, you can draw near. Why would you give that up? Are you all with me this morning? Lakeville Sanctuary is with me, right? Why would you trade Mount Zion from Mount Sinai. Here's another one. Life under the law is based on performance, but life in Christ is based on his perfection. I take this from the fact in the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You see, under the law, it's perform, perform, perform. But in Christ, it's he's already performed for us perfectly and given us his perfection so that we don't have to perform. We trust in what he's done for us. You with me? This is do, 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 do. This is what? Done, 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 done. It is finished. Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to a performance-based system when Jesus makes you perfect? And then lastly, life under the law is guilty. Life in Christ is forgiven. I take this from the phrase, the blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel says, you did it. You did it. You did it. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. The blood of Christ says, I did it for you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. I wash you as white as snow. His word speaks a better word. His blood speaks a better word, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin. The point, why? Why in God's holy and majestic name would you trade life in Christ for life under the law, even if it does mean suffering? Don't you understand turning back on Jesus is the worst possible trade you could make? Amen? Now, I know what some of you are thinking, right? Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody right here. Some, some people, you will take what I just said and you'll, you'll use it to affirm something you believe about God that it's actually not true. It goes like this. You ever heard somebody say this? That's right. Uh, in the Old Testament, God was mean. In the New Testament, God is loving. You ever heard that? In the Old Testament, God was full of wrath. In the New Testament, God is full of grace. Eh! That is dead wrong and not what the Bible teaches. Do you want to know the difference? In the Old Testament, our sin had not been dealt with. In the New Testament, our sin has been dealt with once and for all. The issue isn't a God problem, the issue is a sin problem, and now God has dealt with it in Christ. That's the difference. They couldn't come near because their sin hadn't been forgiven. We can come near because it has. So this isn't a, we have a a different God, it's that we have a glorious Christ who has taken our sin debt and given us the opportunity to draw near. I thought about this as I was reflecting on these two mountains, the Sinai and Zion, and I thought about. Do you remember in Mark chapter five, uh, the woman with the bleeding condition? Do you remember that story? Uh, she'd had the condition for twelve years. The Bible says that she'd spent every penny she had trying to find a cure for this disease. She went after every physician she could find to see if they could help, and the Bible says it only got worse. And because of this bleeding condition that she had, according to Leviticus 15, she was condemned. She was isolated. And I want you to think about that. For 12 years, no hugs. For 12 years, no relationships. For 12 years, uh, never invited to a party. For 12 years, no friends. For 12 years, she always had to say, unclean, 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 every time that she walked into town so that everybody could leave before she got there. That was her life for 12 years. But she's heard rumors. She's heard rumors about a man who can change lives. She's heard rumors about a man that can transform your life forever. She's heard rumors about lepers that no longer have leprosy. She's heard rumors about people that couldn't walk and now they're dancing in the street. And so she decides, I'm going to break all the social norms. I'm going to break all the social rules, and I'm going to get out, and I'm going to make my way through the crowd, and I'm going to find this man. And she reaches out, and she grabs his robe, just grabs his clothes, and immediately she's healed. And she knows it. And Jesus knows it. The text says, feeling the power go out of him, he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Well, Jesus, you're kind of in a crowd. A lot of people touched you. And he's like, No, 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 no. Who touched me? And listen to how this woman responds. This is Mark 5, verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the response I would expect. The response I would expect is my 12 year condition has just been solved. Man, I am as excited as I can possibly be. I don't have to deal with being an outcast anymore. Like, I'm going to get all my, my friends and family together and we're going to celebrate what's happened in my life. Why is this woman responding with fear and trembling? Answer, she is a first century Jewish woman that has only had a Mount Sinai relationship with God. She knows you're not supposed to touch God. So she expects judgment when Jesus says, Who touched me? But she doesn't get judgment, does she? Here's what she gets, verse 34. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. This woman has just moved from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. She has just moved from condemnation to cleansing, from isolation to purification, from fear to forgiveness, from diseased to daughter. She has just moved from a transactional law to a transformed life, and she wouldn't trade that for the world. That's the difference that Jesus makes amen Amen. he takes us from mount sinai to mount zion and why when you've been brought there would you ever go back what a powerful argument let me ask you this are you a mount sinai christian or a mount zion christian you see, I said now several weeks ago that I think that there are new covenant Christians still living as though they're under the old covenant. It's things like this your relationship with God is mostly based on fear. You're driven in your relationship with God more out of performance than really understanding the perfection that He has given you. You always feel like you kind of have to keep a distance. And every time I say draw near, you just assume that's for somebody else. That is, you are a Christian still living in Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai when you've been brought to Mount Zion. And what I'm hoping is that because we've been working through the book of Hebrews, some of you are starting to experience the freedom of the gospel. The difference that Jesus makes. Let me ask you this. Are we a Mount Sinai church or are we a Mount Zion church? I pray to God we're a Mount Zion church. I thought about this in Phil Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He tells a story about a friend of his that does ministry in downtown Chicago. And one day he was having a conversation with a prostitute. She was homeless. Her health was bad. uh, She could hardly afford food to feed her two-year-old daughter. And he said, I'll never forget the conversation. He said, quote, her eyes filled with tears as she confessed that she'd been renting out her daughter. Two years old. To men interested in kinky sex in order to support her drug habit. He said, my friend didn't even know what to say. He could hardly listen to the story. Uh, Finally, he just kind of said the first thing that came to his mind. And he said, have you ever thought of going to church for help? And he said, I'll never forget the look of astonishment on her face. And then she said this, church, why would I ever go there? They will just make me feel even worse than I already do. All she'd ever experienced was a Mount Sinai church. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, you're just being soft on sin. Brother, sister, a cross is anything but soft on sin. I'm not being soft on sin. I'm just saying that at Mount Zion, there is a Savior who forgives all your sin, no matter how bad you think it is. And if you are willing to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you listen to me. You, yes, you are welcome at Mount Zion. And if we really believe that, we'll be the kind of church that does the ministry of reconciliation to people From every background, from all walks of life, from all types of sin, who need to find a home in Jesus. God has brought you to Mount Zion. Why would you even consider going back to Mount Sinai? Here's the last thing in our text. And not just trading the eternal promises for temporary pleasures, and not just trading life in Christ for life under the law. But lastly, do not trade security for what will be shaken. Do not trade security for what will be shaken. This is verses 25 through 29. Let's just read it and we'll wrap it up. See, to, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The point is very simple and it's this. The author reminds these Hebrews of the temporary nature of this world. Just as God shook the mountain, one day he's going to shake the whole earth. And all the kingdoms of mankind will crumble. And the kingdom of God will fill the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Then why would you put your security in that which will be shaken? Don't trade it. Don't trade heaven for finding your home in this world. Do you remember what Jesus taught? There's one that builds their house on the sand, and there's one that builds their house on the rock. And the rains come, and the winds come, and only the one with the firm foundation, only the one that, bit, that built his or her house on the rock will stand. You can't find your security in this world. As the author says, for here we have no lasting city. We seek a city that is to come. Are you encouraged this morning, Christian? Are you encouraged? Learn from Esau. It's a bad trade to trade the temporary for the eternal, to trade your promises for pleasure. It's a bad trade to trade life in Christ to go and live under the law. It's a bad trade to trade a kingdom that cannot be shaken for a world that one day will be. And I understand all of us at some point in life have probably made bad trades. But when it comes to our relationship with God, don't trade your eternal promises don't trade your life in christ don't trade your firm foundation keep looking to jesus keep looking to him the one who could have traded his hunger for a quick meal in the wilderness the one who could have traded his pain for comfort by coming down off a cross The one who could have said no when faced with trading his righteousness for your sinfulness. But he didn't do it because he knew for the glory of his Father and for the eternal good of your life, it was worth it. Look to him. Cling to that old rugged cross. Because one day, brother, sister, you're going to trade it for a crown. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this uh, powerful passage this morning. Um, I pray that we see its relevance to our life because most of us daily find ourselves in situations where it's easy to trade the, the eternal promises of God for just a temporary pleasure so God, I pray that if there's somebody here today um, that just needs that encouragement to keep enduring, keep persevering, don't go back, that the word today has encouraged them. I pray for the person that's uh, never surrendered their life to Jesus. And I pray that today they would hear the invitation to come to Mount Zion, come to a relationship with Christ, to turn from your sin, to put your faith in Jesus, and to experience all that God has for them in Christ. God, speak to us, encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.